0: No, Stephen's not here, so I'm taking over for the next this week and next week as far as Sunday morning messages go. Uh, last week, we'll just start with the introduction, then we'll touch base on it. So last week, we looked at Satan's attack on individual believers and his ultimate goal, which is death or separation. Um, so the series is Turning the Tables, how God takes Satan's attacks and turns the tables against him. Takes what Satan thinks he's doing to win the battle, to win the war, and turns them completely against himself. And how did we see that last week with Mordecai and Haman? You know, yeah, building. <laughs> Haman was building gallows and something to hang Mordecai on, correct? And God completely flipped those tables. Who ended up on the noose in the gallows? Haman. And it came through Mordecai's patient obedience. Um, and we saw that Satan, uh, Haman being a picture of that Antichrist, um, is never satisfied. You know, first he wanted um, the Jews to die. He's like, we'll go right out where it hurts. We'll, we'll target him right in his heart. And then, you know, when the king signed that decree and he saw Mordecai again, he's like, I can't, I can't go on until Mordecai's dead. Satan, hell, evil is never satisfied. You can never give in to sin enough to where it's just going to leave you alone. You give in a little and it's going to keep wanting more. And the perfect picture of that's like in a relationship. You know, I constantly am asked by students... You know, how far is too far in a relationship? Can I hold hands? Can I kiss? Can I make out? Can I I'm not even going to say the next things? You guys know it all. But at what point do you draw the line? The point is, you'll never be satisfied if you keep giving into it lustfully. You always want more. You always want more. And it's just a picture of sin. And we saw that as we looked in Esther last week. All right. So we saw Satan's attack on the individual believer. All right. And that can be manifested in many different ways that separation, that death, separation from our mission. Um, If we fail at something, if we're pulled out of our mission, if we take our eyes off of what God wants us to do. Separation from our spouse, marital issues. Separation from our heavenly spouse. There's a conflict between us and God. We're not making that right. We're not repenting of our sins. Uh, Separation from our ministry, etc. It can come in a bunch of different ways, this death. It's not just a physical death. That was just a picture. There's all kinds of ways that Satan tries to creep in your life and separate you and split you up from what God has called you to do. And as we'll see this morning, it can also be separation from our church. What Satan refuses to believe is that when he persecutes true, born-again, sold-out believers, God's work grows exponentially. The question is, are you someone that will have a negative impact on the church or a positive impact when you are persecuted? And that's a personal thing that you guys got to think about yourselves. So negative, you know, making a mockery of the name of Jesus Christ or completely falling away. So I love what Stephen hit on last Wednesday for those of you guys that were here about VBS. You know, it's awesome that you guys are serving. It's awesome that you guys are pouring your heart out to those students and basically being elevated in such a way and giving the Bible to them and sharing the truth with them. But it also puts you guys at a very uh, highly accountable spot because the things that you do, they're going to look at you and they're going to think that they're right. They're going to think that that's the life that they should be living. They're going to think those are the decisions, the way you talk, the way you interact with people. They, children, and I can say it from my own experience, I know Rick and Megan can attest to this, are very absorbent, are very moldable. They see what's going on and they, they naturally just want to do what they see, which can be an awesome thing when it's a positive impact, but it can be a horrible thing when it's a negative impact. So don't be a stumbling block to those students. Don't have a negative impact to where you're elevated at one point saying things about God and then persecution comes and then you're off doing something that somebody's like, what happened to so-and-so? Well, persecution came and, well, what really was inside got squeezed out and it was ugly. If you got sin that you're dealing with inside, that you need to deal with inside, deal with it. Because when persecution comes one way or another, it's going to come out. You can only keep it hidden so long. And then positive, if you're a positive impact. Allow God to do something incredible through impossible circumstances. You know, I think back when I was um, at a church before FBCJ, there was a family in there. They lost a little boy. I think he was five or six years old to cancer. I'm like, you talk about something devastating. See a little boy sitting in a casket. Parents are just bawling, but they have a smile on their face. And I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, this is weird. And I think I was seven, eight at the time. Um, so we're going through the, the line, and I just see the joy in the parent's heart. You know, they're bawling. They're sad. They missed their boy. But I remember they had such confidence of where he was at. They had such peace. And I, like I said, I was six, seven years old maybe. That impacted me. You know what that did? That made this Bible so real to me. You guys have an opportunity, especially in VBS, and now even after VBS, now that they know your face, they know who you are, and they're going to be watching you to make that same impact on the students in this church. That when trials like that come, I can't think of really any more um, difficult trial than losing one of my own children, especially at that age. But what's true is going to come out. And in, their, in that family, what was true was this word, and it came out, and it impacted me, and it changed how I looked at the Bible at that age. And you, can, you guys can have that same impact on students as well. But persecution going to come. Are you going to have a positive impact or are you going to have a negative impact? All right, so the title of this message is going to be Satan Attacks the Church. So last week it was Satan Attacks the Believer. This week it's Satan Attacks the Church. And then next week we're going to see what happens when Satan attacks the Lord Jesus Christ. So please turn to Acts chapter 6. Chapter 6. So there's like three key chapters that we're going to look at tonight. Very familiar passages, but I want you to look at it within the context of the church. Turning into Kendall. (laughs) Quit talking now. So we're going to be looking at Acts 6, Acts 7, and Acts 8, and then some cross-references to go along with it. But your first point, so as this attack unfolds, as Satan is formulating this plan on attacking a church he goes after leaders he goes after taking out the ones on top think about it in war who are the ones that uh, you know armies try and target when they're going to battle they try and take out like the the infantrymen or you no know, if they're in their way yeah they're gonna mow them down but who are you trying to take out to make the whole plan fall apart yeah the king the captain the general whoever's leading that force whoever's making the calls, it's like in a football team, you know, if the coach was gone and just non-existent, the players are just like, oh, crap. Well, what do we do? What do we call? I don't know. And then they just go out and wing it. Satan's no different. He's going after leaders. He's going after, he's trying to thwart from the top so that the people down below that don't have a real salvation or who are weak or who aren't growing are going to fall away. It's a sick plan, but it works. It works. So your first point, is: this attack unfolds, true leaders, they're going to stand out, especially when they're attacked. All right, so your first little bullet point, Stephen stands out in the congregation. So we're going to look at Stephen. So in Acts chapter 6, let's look at verse 3, and I'll give you some context. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So what are they selecting here? Who are, who are the apostles selecting here? Who are these seven men going to be? The deacons, the first deacons of the church. Okay, and one of those deacons is Stephen. But you see, they're looking out and they're trying to find people, men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, and wise that they may appoint, that they may trust. And Stephen stands out. He fits that bill. Flip over to Exodus chapter 18. Exodus. 18. Holding your place, it's probably too late now, but in Acts, I hope you got the hint earlier. So in Exodus 17, or Exodus 18, I'm sorry, uh, Moses' father-in-law comes in and he gives him some counsel. So Moses has a lot going on. And he said, look, you need to give some responsibility out to people. All right. Verse, uh, we'll start in 17. It says, And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou, sh- thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. All right. And then let's jump down to Verse 23. It says, if thou shalt do this thing and God command thee, so then thou shalt be able to endure and all this people shall shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. And then verse 25, here's the key. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. The key is, Moses was looking out and he found abled people. So when people within this church are looking out, are you one of the able people that they're finding? Are you one of the able people that God can pull up to put in a place of defense for when the attack of Satan comes? Because think about with Stephen. I mean, if, if we know the end of the story, Stephen ends up getting stoned. You think if somebody came up to Stephen and said, hey, you take this position, you're going to get stoned. He'd be like, all right, let's go. I'll tell you right now, I, don't, I still don't think he would have thought twice. I still think he would have done it. But my point is he didn't know what was waiting for him at the other side. He was preparing himself for whatever God had. You have no idea what God's preparing you for. You have no idea what kind of defense he needs you guys in every specific spot. We're going to touch on a little later the church being a body. We're all members fitly put together. All very important. If a member is out of place, our church is vulnerable. Our church has a weak spot. So would you stick out? Would you stick out to the leaders of this church if they're looking for people? You know, look in verse 21 of chapter 18. It says, moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be ruler of thousands, ruler of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. The Bible's full of the qualifications it takes to be an able man. And if you're doing these things, if you're serving in VBS, if you're more than just doing these things, you know, you see, God looks on the heart, and you know what he does? He lays a burden on the leaders of this church based on what's going on inside your heart. Are these things deep down in your heart that when the leaders look out, they're like, yes, and God puts a confidence in their heart that, yes, I want to serve with that individual, or I need that person to serve in the junior high, or I need that person to whatever. Leaders are always looking. God's always looking for to build up more defenses to call and raise people up. All right, flip over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Familiar verses. Sixteen. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then seventeen is a key that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You see, this is how you stick out. The Word of God works inside of you. It furnishes you. It gives you the tools you need. Every time I see "furnish" in that verse, I think of. Um, you know, a house. If you walk into a house and it's barren and there's nothing there, you're like, well, this isn't very profitable. There's not much I can do with this. It's just an empty space, it's a waste of space. Don't let that be your inside as well. Let the word of God furnish you, let it give you the tools. The tools are the verses. Think about Jesus when he goes back and forth with Satan. Obviously, he's the word of God, so he's got an advantage on us, but that's still the tools he uses. It's verses. It's the word of God. When sin comes, when persecute, persecution comes, do you have the tools inside of you? Are you furnished unto all good works to be able to combat those attacks? That's how you stick out, though. You let this word cleanse you. You let this God, let this word work through you in your personal time, on Sundays, on Wednesdays, during Bible studies. You don't let a single second go by that could be used, spent in this book, to waste. You redeem the time. Your second bullet point: Stephen stands out in the world. Go back to Acts chapter six. If you guys are taking notes, right? Next, we're not going to go here, but write down John fifteen eighteen through twenty seven next to that. It's John talking, or Jesus talking to his disciples about if you're in the world, man, they're going to hate you because they hate me. You're going to stand out. You're going to be different. You're going to be sanctified. Look in verse 9 of Acts chapter 6. We'll start in verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So Stephen, he stands out. He's different. Then there, verse 9, arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen... And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they, suburned all, then they suburned men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this is Jesus of Nazareth, that this Jesus of Nazareth. Shall destroy this place, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all they, and all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. See, Stephen stands out not because he's some strong guy, not because he says a lot of jokes, not because um, he's cool. He stands out for what he says, and he stands out for the things he does. He's out preaching in probably one of the hardest circumstances that we can ever imagine. And he's preaching really against what they just committed a little while back, crucifying Jesus Christ. You see, this world has no answer for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 10 when he's saying all these. And they were not able to resist the wisdom in the spirit by which he spake. And I love the verse of 15. As they're looking on him, they saw his face as, as it had been the face of an angel. When you let this book get inside of you, I'm telling you, you're going to make this world marvel. You're going to make this world be astounded because they're not going to have an answer for it. They'll argue with you over and over, but when you're firm and you believe this book, man, God's going to give you wisdom, the Bible says, above your teachers, above the scholars. When he takes simple people that just believe this book, straight belief, diehard belief, faith is above anything that this world can ever teach you you at a whole nother level because think about it you're driven you're allowing the spirit of god to drive you the same spirit that created anything that we can ever uncover on this world you're giving him the driver's seat in your life but man a lot of times we don't believe that power me included because this world it's physical we see it and it's in our face every single day and we want to react to it every day don't fall into the plot of satan but this world it has no answer for that wisdom stand out in this world all right, so true leaders, they're going to stand out. And then verse or uh, point number two, true leaders, they're going to speak out. So Acts chapter 7 is one of the greatest messages ever found in the Bible. Basically takes you through the entire Old Testament, ending with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. We're going to hit uh, just a couple verses in it. But true leaders, they're going to speak out. Look in verse 1. It says, Then said the high priest, Are these things so? So he's talking to Stephen here. And he said, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, The God of of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, and then he goes on and works them through all the stories in the Old Testament, one after another after another, and how everything is linked. The hand of God, how it moved through this Old Testament that they say they believed, that they say they hold true. He works them right through it, takes their nose and goes to every highlight that they would know to a T. He's not talking to just some hateful group of people. He's talking to the leaders of these groups. And then jump down to verse 51. This is how he ends. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, because they refuse to believe and they refuse to hear. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just, capital J, one, capital O, of whom, ye have now, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers. He's calling them betrayers and murderers. Who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. You haven't even kept the law yourself. And then verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up and then as we know the rest of the story they take him out they stone him he sees jesus christ standing at the right hand of god and he ends up dying a lot of people believe this is strike three for the nation of israel for the jew it's like all right they're done and you see the gospel go out like never before satan's attack on the church comes to a tipping point here comes to a climax here and the gospel goes out like it never has before but true leaders are going to speak out. You see, when you're walking with the Lord, when, when he is near to you, when that relationship with him is close, it's intimate, the Bible, it's going to come out automatically. You're not going to have to think about it. It's going to be true inside of you. And the best example I can have is like my wife. When I'm at work and people are asking about my family or they're asking about um, you know, my marriage or just things personally, it naturally comes out about my wife. I know everything about her. I like to think I do. You know, I I can talk about interactions I've had with her. And it just comes out. I'm like, man, why can't my relationship with God be like that? And it can be. And it has moments that it's like that. But I don't approach it all the time like that. I don't approach him as this close, intimate spouse. And because of that, sometimes I have to work at getting the Bible out. And witnessing and going to Canal Days or going to the balloon festival can be kind of intimidating sometimes. But when I'm walking with the Lord, when I'm communicating with him and I'm praying without ceasing and he's touching every facet of my life, I get excited for those moments because that's when God can work. That's when he can take the truth that he's been piling inside you and you can let it out. When those events come, you guys should be like a balloon ready to burst because God has just been Laying things on your heart. Laying truths on your heart. And you should have such a burden for people. And if you don't, this isn't a bashing session. It's just a self-examination. Look inside your heart. If you love Jesus, you're going to feed his sheep. You're going to give the word out. You're going to share the gospel. The Bible, it's going to come out automatically. I want to look at a couple of these verses. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 20. Um, I think we'll have enough time. Steven didn't take the first 28 minutes this Sunday of uh, cards asking for your information, freshmen, so I think we'll be all right. Steven's going to listen to this now and not see the smile on my face knowing i was joking, so Steven, it's all good. <coughs> the Bible, it's going to come out automatically. I want to look at some examples of individuals that the Bible was just naturally inside of them and they couldn't help but keep it in or keep it out. 20 verse nine says, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. So Jeremiah, he's in a really tough spot right now, really um, one of his darkest hours, but he says, but his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. God, if you're if you have a genuine relationship with God, He's only gonna let you sit in a quiet, shut up state for so long. Until that word inside of you is just burning, and you're like, I can't help but speak these things. I can't help but do what's right. You know, I think back to Joshua 1 8. How many of you guys remember memorizing that verse in children's ministry? I was going to say, nobody's going to raise their hand because I'm going to say, well, what is it? Um, it's, it has the word success and the word meditate in it. Well, there's a part where it says, um, uh, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night um, that thou mayest. But the whole point is, it's not going to depart. and People can read that and think, well, that means you're not going to speak it. No, that means you are always going to speak it. It's never gone out of your mouth. You are always talking about it. It's not going to depart because it's always there. It's always on your lips. Um, Is that true about you? You know, when you sit and you guys, think back to some of your darkest moments in your life. When you're sitting there, is God's spirit just burning inside your heart? When you're not speaking the things that you should at church, or at church, when you're not speaking the things that you should at school, when you're not thinking the way that you should, when you're just in a state of loneliness, that was me when I was in high school. I I would do some of my uh, most depressed thoughts would just be sitting in loneliness because I desired that companionship. Was the Spirit of God burning inside of you? Pulling you out saying, look, you're more than this. You're called to more than this. Don't let Satan keep you in this pit of depression. I have a great plan for you. If that's going on inside of you, that's great. Answer it. Do something with it. If it's not, examine that fire. Examine if it's inside of you, whether you've seared it or it just was never there to begin with. These are states of examination that we ought to always be looking at ourselves. But even in Jeremiah's darkest hour, God's word was burning inside of him. Is God's word burning inside of you. He couldn't help but keep it in. Go to Acts chapter 4. not going to read this whole passage but we'll start in verse 13 all right so we're talking about peter here verse 13 now when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with jesus and then they go on and then verse 19 we're starting in verse 18. And they called them and commanded them to not speak, not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Basically, basically like the same reaction they had with Stephen. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Listen, if you think it's wrong what I'm doing, you can judge it, but I'm going to obey God above you. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Do you guys have that same heart? For we cannot speak. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What have you seen and heard from God's word? Because if you've seen things from God, you can't help but keep that stuff. You can't help but let that stuff out. You can't help but speak about the things that God's doing in your life. And if he's not doing things in your life, you're probably not going to have a lot to talk about. Let God work in your life. True leaders, they're going to speak out. The Bible, it's going to come out automatically. But it's dependent on an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then First Corinthians 9, verse 16. Again, a familiar verse. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. You know, I think back to one of the uh, men that I witnessed to when we were at Canal Days. It was ironically, it was one of my coworkers. Weirdest situation ever. I'm standing there talking to somebody, and then all of a sudden I see somebody out of the corner of my eyes who got it already placed on my life or on my heart um, a couple years back. This dude almost died a couple months ago due to kidney failure. He went to high school with Jay. Just a lot of weird things with this guy. And he's walking by, and I'm like, okay, God, I got to do something now. This is an obvious opportunity. So I'm like, hey, Rocky. His real name's Clinton. Who wants to be called Clinton. So he goes by Rocky. I don't know how you get Rocky from Clinton. but So he's walking by. I'm like, hey, Rocky, come over here. And we're talking, and he's like, so what are you doing out here? I'm like, well, we got our youth group out and we're, you know, evangelizing, sharing, um, you know, the, the good news of Jesus Christ and just giving people the good test. And he's like, all right. And I'm like, do you want to take the good test? He's like, yeah, sure. So I give it to him. I mean, just beautiful the way God brings up these situations. Um, and I get through and I get to the end of the gospel. And man, he's just like stoic in a good way. Like it it rocks him and he's looking at me and I'm like, you know what do you think about these things does this concern you and he's like yeah he's like why didn't you tell me this when I got back so he'd been out for months sick like literally almost died twice gets back to work and I interact with him a little bit and then you know this is like that was like three or four months ago and he asked me that question he's like why didn't you share this with me when I got back I'm like man I'm like yeah why why didn't I I'm like you're right I should have and it's awesome, and I praise God that I had that opportunity and that he didn't die sometime in that time frame. But, man, what a conviction. Sometimes we can blow up these circumstances out of proportion and be like, man, but they just, people don't want to hear it. People don't want to hear it, God. It's going to come off weird. The world doesn't believe this, God. It's, it's hopeless. And then good grief, I give the gospel to someone who's like, man, I wish you would have told me this sooner you guys have no idea what God is doing on the hearts and souls of people around you. And Satan wants you to think that you're some giant weirdo. And we hit on it last week of why it's important to be together with fellow believers to remind you that this book is true. To remind you that we're not weird for what we believe. Because you spend time out of this, and man, it's like a clock of how quickly you can dive into this world and think, man, how do we believe that stuff? I've seen people lose their minds when they have separated themselves from the body of Christ not just the Bible but from the body this body man it's safe why do you think God built the church it's not just to learn about the Bible we have the Bible we can learn the Bible but man there's safety in being together and encouragement and unfortunately sometimes even within the body we can convince ourselves that the world doesn't want this that was a conviction to me that I need to let this flow out at work So something I'm going to be starting next week, which pray for me because it's going to be interesting. So we have this whole new pronoun thing. People can put next to their name if they're a he or a she because apparently Brandon could be a girl and Catherine could be a guy. So they put next to their names on their signatures of the emails that they send out, she slash her, he slash him. So I was talking with Lee. I work with Lee Chudis, and I'm like, you know what? I'm like, Satan is using this tool to basically just muddy the biological waters. Make people, like I said last week, he's attacking biology, the universe, he's attacking all kinds of things that, he, that really we've never seen at this capacity before. I'm like, why don't we, and I said, turn the tables on him and use that format and use this opportunity to glorify Jesus Christ. So on my signature, I haven't decided what exactly I'm going to put yet, but I think I'm going to put ball by the blood of Jesus Christ. Put it right under my name. So every email I send out where people have their pronouns, I'm like, you know what? They're putting their physical identity, so be it. That's fine. So I'm going to put my spiritual identity. Little things that we can do, and I'm interested to see. We have a plant manager who claims to be accepting of everything. And we share verses out, and he encourages it. But, man, I'm going to not, not uh, belligerently or uh, as a jerk, but I'm going to turn the heat up a little bit. So be praying because that's going to be interesting. But the whole point is, man, we need to be more bold. We need to use every and any opportunity to speak out and share the truth and make those lines in the sand and stand out from this world. But true leaders, they're going to speak out. The Bible is going to come out automatically, whether it's in conversation or whether it's just in an email signature, it's going to be known of you. All right. And then point number three, True churches will continue the work. I just want to hit some awesome verses back in Acts chapter 8. And then we are going to be done in Acts and finish up with point 4. So Satan comes in through the working of Saul, coincidentally, and the evil leaders of that time, and they stone Stephen. We see at the end of chapter 7, verse 16, he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Can you imagine that? People are throwing stones at you, and you're like, God, don't lay this into their charge. Please forgive them for what they're doing. Very similar situation to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And then look in Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church. See, not against Stephen. Satan's ultimate attack is against the church here which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Then jump down to verse 3. So let's see what happens when they get scattered out just as Christ said they needed to back in Acts chapter 1, correct? Unto Judea, unto Samaria, unto the uttermost. Well, here they are through the working of Satan going to these places. Interesting turn of events. Verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house... Churches are in houses at this time. And hailing men and women committing them, committed them to prison. Therefore they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. You see, Satan's coming in and, and wreaking havoc through Saul. But God's taking those people that he's pushing out. And you know what they're doing? They're taking the gospel with them. They're taking the gospel and they're preaching the word. They're not letting this persecution shut them up and have them focused on themselves. They're letting this persecution motivate them. You know, and I can only imagine what's going through their thoughts. Man, I don't know how much time we got left. I I don't know if they're going to come behead me. I got to use every second I got to share as much about Jesus Christ as I can. Man, I don't approach life like that. And part of that's the curse of living in America. The curse of living in this Disney euphoric country that we live in. And I have a feeling things are going to be changing. But even if they don't, man, we ought to live like this. Because spiritually, you have no idea how much time people around us have. You have no idea how much time you have. Look in verse 8. And there was great joy in that city where they're preaching. Look in verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent unto them Peter and John. So Samaria is getting the word. Look in verse 25. And they that which had testified and preached the word of the Lord returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. So as they're returning to Jerusalem, they're preaching, they're preaching, they're preaching. Verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So the angel of the Lord sending them out. Verse 30. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He sends him to a specific person, and it's that Ethiopian eunuch. See, when you're scattered out, man, God can do some awesome things sending you to wherever he wants you to go. But when persecution came, these men were faithful. When persecution came, this work, this church continued the work. We're not going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. But despite the suffering, Paul was bold, and it led to fruit all over Asia. Look at verse not chapter 9, verse 1 of Acts. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priests and desired of him letters to where? Damascus. And when does Saul become Paul? On his way to Damascus. See, even Satan, even the tool, the very tool that Satan used in this time, Saul, God completely turns the tables on him. He's like, hey, you think you got control of this man? I got a bigger plan for him. And he gets a hold of Saul's life. And Saul responds, he accepts it. He's no longer Saul. His entire identity changes. And that same tool that Satan was using to wreak havoc in the world, God uses to bring peace, to bring hope. And I got news for you, he's got the same plans for every single one of you in here. The problem is we don't we just we don't open up our ears, we don't open up our hearts. That's where one of Peter's or Stephen's uh no it was Peter, I'm sorry, uh biggest condemnations against the leaders was they're uncircumcised in heart and ear. They don't believe these things although they say they do. They don't hear these things although they say that they do. Paul, the very tool that Satan used, God turns the tables completely on him. And the work that they did, the work that they were committing to do, that they continued to do, is why we're sitting here today. You talk about a complete table turning. So true churches, they will continue the work, and they have to, or we wouldn't be here today. And then point number four, and we're going to bring it to a close. True churches are more than a building. Flip over to Romans chapter 12. Verses four and five. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So we have many members, you know, fingers, toes, arms, bellies, legs, head, ears, you know, all these members, they all have different offices though. They all have different responsibilities. They all have things that they do that are different. But they all do them honestly. They all take orders without thinking twice. My brain tells my fingers to snap, they snap. My brain tells my head to look over there, it looks. It's not constantly fighting with itself saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Unless I got like some tick or something. My body obeys what I tell it to do physically. We ought to do the same thing within the body of Christ. You guys are all valuable. Let me look around before I make this statement. Even you, Dustin. We are all valuable in this body of Christ. We all have a part. We are all members within this body. Don't ever for a moment think that you're unvaluable, that you don't have a purpose. I tell Emma that all the time because she can beat herself up because she can get so disappointed with things that she does or how she thinks about things. I'm like, don't listen to that lie from the pit of hell. I'm like, you are valuable. You have a purpose. God is calling you guys, all of you to something great fulfill that purpose we are more than a building we're a body of believers put together and that's detailed we're not going to turn there for time's sake but in 1 corinthians chapter 12 verses 12 through 27 talks about all the members being fitly framed together we're all members we need all of you to be to be the most successful we can at our mission the true churches they're more than a building And godly leaders, your first bullet point, will leave a sustainable work, even if they're gone. You know, I think of Stephen. He's gone. But that work was sustainable. It kept going. It wasn't dependent on a personality. You know, if Pastor Tom, God forbid, died within this church, would our work cease? Would it stop? No, the work that God laid on his heart to establish in Jackson Township would continue because it's sustainable it's the same work that these disciples were doing back in Acts chapter 6 7 and 8 can I have three readers Jared Joshua 1 you're going to do 9 and 16 Carson John seventeen, four. Lydia Acts 1 8 and 9 and then everybody else turn to 2 Timothy 3 and we're going to bring this to a close 9 and 16. Alright, go ahead, Jared. Joshua 1, 9 and right. Yeah, i got to be specific with you because last week you read like right, nine right. verses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And they answered Joshua, saying, All that thou commandest us, we will do. yeah the congregation was like joshua we're gonna go wherever you want you know why because he believed verse nine wherever he went he knew god was with him he had complete confidence in that he was circumcised in heart and ear he listened to the things that god was telling him to do and he went but moses left a sustainable work how through discipleship we saw that at camp Moses investing in Joshua, bringing him up, teaching him the things of the word, teaching him how to be a godly leader. They leave a sustainable work, and Joshua is no exception. John seventeen four. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus Christ, He finished the work, but He still hadn't died on the cross yet. What was His work? Who said that? Yeah, discipleship. Christ came down predominantly for two main reasons. Establish discipleship and die die and be raised again for the sins of man and women. But discipleship, people miss that. And then Acts 1, 8 and 9. So Jesus leaves, he's gone, and the work is sustainable. They go out and they do it. Yeah, it's through some persecution. But Christ was very faithful in who he invested in. And when he is gone, the work continued. That work of discipleship was far more valuable than him just getting people saved in that moment. If he would gotten two million people saved but nobody discipled, we would not be here today. Discipleship, sustainability, that is what Christ is all about. And then your that last bullet point there: the weakness of a church will be exposed during affliction. And ask yourself, would it be you? We're not going to turn there, but you have the parable of the sower in Mark four three through twenty. You have four different situations here: seed that's cast by the wayside, Satan he comes and takes it out. You have it on the rocky ground. This will be when the persecution comes. They're glad when they receive it, but persecution comes and they fold they're like I want no part of it and then you have thorny ground the cares of this world come and they choke some out of them they're like I can't handle it I don't want it and then you have the good ground where you have fruit up to a hundred fold which one are you when persecution comes do you have fruit that's going to remain when persecution comes or does it squeeze out the garbage so in closing Persecution is necessary for God's will to be fulfilled, and it always, it will always produce fruit when patiently endured bi- biblically. So Satan comes in, he attacks the church leadership, he tries to thwart God's plan, and God takes that and turns the tables and exponentially magnifies his plan and takes churches and starts planting them in houses all over Asia. Just when it looks like Satan is one, when Stephen is sitting on the ground, stoned up dead and the church could fold and be like our leader's gone i don't know what to do anymore no they knew what to do it was hard but it became real for them in that moment and they ran out and they told everybody that they could about the about jesus christ look in second timothy 3 12 we're gonna end familiar verse this is why it's necessary Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You have to. If you live godly, you will have persecution. Case in point, if you don't have persecution, well then by deductive reasoning, you're probably not living godly. Examine yourself because when, Christ, when Satan attacks this church, and he already has in multiple moments, are you going to be the weak link that's exposed? Because I believe a lot of you, God's calling into leadership in some fashion all of you into some form in this church, whether it's serving in the children's ministry, maybe even more, maybe leading in a ministry. Don't be that weak link. Deal with those things now. When Satan attacks a true biblical church, the tables will be be turned. But that does not mean that there won't be collateral damage. Don't let it be you. But let it motivate and encourage you that nothing takes God by surprise. Quite the contrary, he's waiting for it. Just like he was with the church. And I love at the end of it, just like he was with Saul. Everything that Satan was using, God's like, nope, that's mine. Saul said, yes. I love it. It's right in the front of Satan. Be right in the face of Satan doing the work that God has called you to do. Do not let Satan have victory in your life. Especially when he comes to attack the church. All right, let's pray. Father, it's very convicting reading these things, Lord, and I think back to my life. If this persecution, this level of persecution came in my life, would I stand or would I fold? I pray that everybody would examine themselves to see if they would stand. I pray that they would. Lord, I love these students in here, and I want to see them be successful for you. I pray that you would burden their hearts to be more than, than what they are right now, that they would obey the calling that you've called them to be. Lord, help them believe this book, not just in, not just with their ears, but with their hearts, so they can change their lives. So when persecution comes, Lord, they be able to withstand. They would be able to stand and speak out against Satan in his diabolical ways. Lord, I pray for Scott this morning as he's uh, gonna bring the word. I pray that it will be his, his word, or be your words, Lord, not his. God, and that you penetrate the hearts of everybody in there. Pray uh, for the Mexico team. You'd uh, also protect them. I hope their missions trip be fruitful, Lord. God, and pray especially for the leaders and for the Browns that they will be comforted as well during this time. Through all this in Jesus' name.